Hear the word of the Lord. See what the love of the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this, when He is revealed, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And all who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. If you know that he was revealed to take away sins, and him and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this is about my first anniversary with y'all. Uh, in two days is the actual date. I first started on the uh, 21st of last year. Um, and, uh, and so it's sort of my, you know, my liturgical anniversary was Palm Sunday. But we're about up to the real one-year calendar anniversary since I started. And so as I was driving uh, in this morning, I thought about the first time that I came to Tremont, at least the first time that I remembered it was back uh, the October before I started. So this has been October of uh, 2013. Uh, Jessica and I had just moved back to Tupelo, more or less, and we were visiting uh, different churches around there. And I'd been meaning to get in touch with Dr. Barnes, the district superintendent. And we went to St. Luke's that morning, and it so happened that Dr. Barnes was preaching at St. Luke's that day. So afterwards, I went up to him. And I've told this story before, but I'm feeling nostalgic, so just indulge me. Um, so I went up to Dr. Barnes afterwards and said, Dr. Barnes, I'm Smith Lilly. I've been meaning to get in touch with you. I finished you know, seminary in Nashville and I was in the process to be ordained there and I, we got a chance to come home. I wanted to switch it to uh, Mississippi. And he looked at me a second and he said, hmm, well, I don't suppose you want to go to Tremont. <laughs> and I said, well, sure I want to go to Tremont. Why wouldn't I want to go to Tremont? And, uh, and so we talked about it briefly, but not, you know, as a, I mean, this was a while before it actually happened. So it wasn't a promise or anything. It was just an idea. It was like the first thing that came to his head. So Jessica and I took a little drive that afternoon and I went and I found all four of the churches. Uh, y'all were the hardest to find because Google maps lied about the location. It doesn't anymore. I fixed it. Um, and, uh, and so I you know, found all four of the churches and I just, sort of had this afternoon of daydreaming of what it would be like to be here. And I thought it would be, you know, really, really cool. I said, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to go there. I hope that happens. And obviously it worked out and here we are. Now what I couldn't possibly have imagined in that afternoon is, is of course the relationships that I would form with y'all and, and with other folks in this community. I knew that something like that might happen and I hoped that it would but I didn't know the, the specifics yet, of course. What John writes about here in the, in the letter today, in John, uh, 1 John 3, um, is not terribly different from that afternoon experience I had because uh, this passage is all about hope and relationship and the relationship that makes the hopes come true that, and how those are connected. And for John, that relationship is, and that hope is centered on one thing, on one person. It's centered on Jesus. 
It is Jesus who makes the hope of new life um, a reality. It is Jesus and relationship with Jesus that makes it possible for us to be named as God's children. And it is that hope and that relationship that enables us to live a new life that is powered by what God would do in us. It's about hope and about relationship and about righteousness, about newness of life. I love the way that John starts this passage. Uh, It just starts out, what love? What love? See what love the Father has given us. John's just marveling at it. He's amazed at it. He's simply glorying in God's love. The word here that we uh, translate as what is a little more interesting than just a normal old boring what. There there was another Greek word for, for what that's normally used, but this one is a little bit different. The word here that's used is potipin or potipin. And literally that means of what country? It's like John is saying, what kind of a strange, foreign, incomprehensible love is this? What an unusual, what unexpected, what a strange kind of love. He's just amazed by it. He's marveling at it. It's more than he can put in to words. And he, that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to just wonder at it. You know, there's two, when we as Christians nowadays talk about love, sometimes we can do one of two things. Sometimes we will sort of intellectualize it. And we'll say that, you know, you're supposed to love and it's our moral principle and that everything we as Christians do is, should be born out of love. And it's sort of in our heads, but it's not really in our hearts. John wants it to be in our hearts. He wants us to marvel, to revel, to rejoice in response to the amazing promise that we've been called God's children, that God loves us. To just be wowed by it. And sometimes we can lose that. Sometimes we lose that sense of love in our culture. Sometimes we do, we go the opposite way. We sort of water it down, we dumb it down. Uh, and we make love into just being nice. And we're Methodist, right? We love to be nice. And we like to think that we're nice people and we want nice people to be here. And we tell our children, you should be nice to other people when you go to school. And of course, it's not a bad thing to be nice. But being nice is a little different than loving. And in fact, Jesus, who is love incarnate, can kind of be rough around the edges. And sometimes isn't all that nice, so it seems. But he is loving. Love is much more powerful than sometimes we would make it, either in our intellectualized version of love or in our dumbed-down version of love where we just you know, want people to be nice. It's the kind of love you can wonder at, you can be amazed by. You know, sometimes nowadays people will criticize Christianity and say, you know, Christians are, are selfish, really. They think the world revolves around them. And to say that God would love us and create us is really you're just focusing on yourself. And you should realize that the universe, the world, um, are far too big for us to possibly think that if there is a God who created all that, that he would be concerned with, you know, really an insignificant part of the big picture. Sometimes that's what people will say about about Christians. But you know, in the ancient world, they knew that the world was bigger than they could possibly imagine. 
They didn't necessarily have the advanced uh, ways of measuring it that we might today. But if you go back and read the ancient poets, or if you just read the Psalms, uh, the Psalms will all the time talk about just how big and incomprehensible God is, how transcendent God is, that we can try to put it into words, but we can't quite get there, that God is beyond our imaginations, that God is above all and in all. And, and they just wonder at it, this same kind of wondering at, at love that John would have us, have us do. And what John is saying here is that that God, that God is, who is too big for us to put into words or imagine, has called us his children, has loved us. And that's why we have to just wonder at it. Has loved us, not people who are especially righteous or holy, not the emperors and kings who would call themselves the sons of God, but we, everyday people, are the sons and daughters of God, the children of God. And John just wonders at this. Notice this language, children of God. John says, beloved, we are God's children now. We are God's children now. That implies that at one time we were not God's children. We are God's children now. Sometimes in Scripture, we, the phrase, the children of God, can refer to just anybody, any created person, because you know, God created Adam, God created human beings, and we are descendants of that, so we are, in a sense, uh, you know, the sons and daughters of God. Sometimes that's what is being talked about. That's not what John's talking about, though. John is talking about, he doesn't use the word, but the con- this is the concept. He's talking about adoption. Once we were not children, now we are. And similar ideas come up in the gospel in the gospel of John as well. We have been made God's children. Those who weren't God's children have become God's children. Now, nowadays we tend to think about adoption in sort of altruistic terms. We would adopt a child to um, you know, who might be in need or who might be connected to us in some other way and needs a parent. So we would adopt that child in order to care for them. In the ancient world, in the Roman world, that's not what adoption was about. That might have happened from time to time, but adoption was about something else. Adoption was about name and inheritance. And in fact, in uh, the Greco-Roman world, adults would be adopted so that they would become heirs of someone else. If you were in your old age and didn't have a suitable family member to carry on your name and to carry on your estate, you would adopt another adult, presumably younger than you, to carry on your name, to carry on your life's work. Uh, You students of Roman history probably know about this, or those of you who read Julius Caesar at some point. Who Who was the emperor after Caesar? Anybody remember Augustus. You probably knew, you just didn't want to say out loud. Augustus, but Augustus didn't start out Augustus. And in fact, Augustus wasn't Julius Caesar's son. Uh, Originally, he was Octavius. And he was like the great nephew of Caesar. So, but he wouldn't have been normally his heir. Caesar, Julius Caesar adopts Octavius, adopts who would later be called Augustus, so that he might become emperor after him that he might carry on the work that Julius had begun, that his name, his family, his work would continue 
after he died. Adoption for the Romans, adoption in that world, is about name and inheritance. So, if we are the adopted children of God, what name is it that we receive? What's our inheritance? Well, the name that we receive, the inheritance that we receive, is the name of Jesus. It is the inheritance of Jesus. To be adopted as God's child means that you get what you have been shown in Jesus already. And yes, that is our own salvation, but it's more than that too, because what John has in mind, and we should remember this this Easter season, is resurrection. It's new life. It is eternal life with Christ that we have seen a glimpse of in Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus in the resurrection has a physical body. I mean, he he eats with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He eats uh, fish with uh, some with well with the apostles with some other disciples as well. He um, he can be touched. He's there among them. He looks like a normal person, but yet he's not immediately recognized. He uh, isn't recognized by the two disciples on the road to Emmaus until he breaks bread with them. He isn't recognized by Mary until he says her name in Hebrew. Uh, he isn't, um, he isn't, doesn't appear to be quite the same, even though he still has scars from, in his body from the cross. And that same Jesus who has a physical body, I mean, he's eaten with people, he's there right with them, um, according to John 20, can walk through a locked door and just appear with the disciples. He has a physical body, but it's not the kind of physical body that we have now. It's better. It's more. It is more real, in a sense, than what, than what we even have right now. It's a body of permanence, of imperishability, of immortality. Uh, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is very clear about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He tells us that the perishable can't inherit imperishability, that the mortal can't inherit immortality, so we receive new bodies that are imperishable and immortal. So our salvation, what we inherit with Christ, is what we've seen in him, resurrected bodies. And the early Christians believed that when Jesus came again, he would raise the dead, raise them to newness of life. And that's what life with him, that's what eternal life with him would be like. Not just floating off somewhere else, but a new creation. We ourselves and then the world itself, and that comes in in Revelation. New heaven and new earth, coming and meeting with, with new earth. That new life is made possible by Christ. That is the inheritance. That is what we are looking forward to. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that hope? What we do with that hope, John says, is to purify ourselves. To begin to live into it. That if Christ is pure, if Christ is holy, then we should follow after his holiness because we know that we're going to follow after him in having a body like his. And so we begin to live like we're already part of that new creation, that we already have that confidence, that hope in God because we know that he's not going to disappoint us. So we can live like God's new age has already come 
even though we're in the middle of a world that is broken and sinful still. And so John tells us that we should purify ourselves even as he is pure. If we have hope, if we have hope. The greatest invention, I think, in the last uh, five years is flashlights on your cell phone. Okay? Uh, I don't know what I did before I could flip this thing and turn on my light and in the middle of darkness have just a... I have daylight on my phone, on my phone, a little tiny sun that lights up my path in the middle of the night when I'm trying to keep the room dark so the girls can sleep and we can't flip on the lights. Now, I know that the light's coming. A new day is going to dawn. The the house will be filled up with light again, but in the middle of the night, in the middle of darkness, where I may stumble over who knows what that uh, one of my sweet girls left in the floor, I have daylight to guide my path. Hope is kind of like that. That's what John's talking about. That we have that hope with Christ to give us a dose of what's going to come in the future. Of that new life that's going to come, we can start to live into it right now. And the name that John gives to that new life, uh, that name to um, being a child of God is righteousness. Is righteousness. Here's the end part. It's been a while ago since I read it, so let me recap. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness, John says. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him or know him, known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The goal is righteousness. Now, all throughout that little passage, it might not be initially obvious, but all of that is relationship language. All of that is relationship language. Uh, the law... He says sin is lawlessness. The law in, uh, for Israel is about, it identifies their relationship with God. This is how you respond to the God who is faithful to you and brought you out of Egypt. And sin too is about relationship. You've probably heard the, the way of explaining sin as missing the mark. Okay, It's not being lined up in right relationship as you should be. Not being what God has created you to be in relationship with Him. It's also about being put back or or not being in right relationship. Abide. We're told that we should abide in Him. And if we abide in Him, we wouldn't sin. That same language John uses in the gospel when Jesus tells His disciples, abide in me as I abide in you. It's about relationship with Christ. And then ultimately we get to this word righteousness. The same word can be used uh, or can be translated as justified. Okay, Justified and righteous and relationship and justice, they're all connected ideas. They're all tied in together. If you've ever done word processing or you know, written up a document on a computer and you justify your margins, when your margins are justified, they line up perfectly on one side and the other. Everything is in right relationship, equal relationship to the sides. That is what being righteous is about. It's about being in right relationship to God and each other. And what John wants us to understand is that 
new life in Christ, new life born out of this hope that we have as His children, puts us in right relationship with the Father. To live as He has called us to live. Now you might be getting nervous because a few minutes ago you heard me read this scripture that says that anyone who abides in Him uh, doesn't, or no one who abides in Him sins. No one who sins has either seen Him or known Him. And you might be thinking, well, I sinned just uh, this morning. That can't be good. And you, but you may be revolting a little bit and you say, you know what, uh, I've read... I've read uh, 1 John 1, and in 1 John 1, John is very clear that anyone who says that he has no sins is a liar. So how can that be? John has already said that if you say you have no sins, you're a liar. And now he's saying that if you abide in Christ, you can't sin. How can that be? How can that be? What John is saying isn't that those who are Christians never do wrong. Because he's already told those who are Christians when they sin to confess and be restored in their relationship. But what he is saying is that if we are Christ, if we abide in him, then it's going to change the way that we live. And we can't go on sinning uh, as a way of life like we might have at one point. As little children, let no one deceive you. Our culture would deceive us. It'll tell us, well, that's just the way you are. You have a bad temper and you lost it. That's just, you're just being authentic. That's what the culture might tell us. But what we as Christians believe is that we are not slaves to our biology or our psychology or our personality, that we can become new creations. That we can, instead of playing the tune that we played uh, before in our lives, that we might learn to play the new tune of God's creation. And yes, your finger may slip and you may hit a wrong key from time to time, but you're still playing a new tune. You're not playing the old tune of sinfulness, but you are living into a new kind of life that you've been called to and that you would grow in holiness day by day. There's a tension here. John wants us to know that you can't go on living like you used to. And to do that, you got to be honest with yourself. And he tells us that in John 1. Don't lie to yourself and, and tell yourself that you don't sin. But you should reckon with it. And that's what it means to no longer abide in sin, but to abide in Christ. That you have to reckon, reckon with the way that you should live and with where your heart is. If you want to be a child of God. If you want to live into hope. Now these 40 days of uh, prayer that we are doing, um, we are trying to live into hope in that way. God has called us as his children to be in a new family. And that's what is implied by the fact that we're children of God together. That we are a new family as the church. And God has placed us all in our own individual families and relationships so that we can practice what it means to be in right relationship to God and right relationship to each other. And um, didn't get to explain this last week since I wasn't with y'all, but each day during the, the 40 days of prayer that we're doing, we're going to focus on, well, each week we're going to have a different focus and then an individual thing to pray for on each day. And this week, I want us to pray for our own families for the families of our neighbors, and for us as a church family, that we would be a place um, where we would 
live out this hope of right relationship with God and each other. So as you leave today, I'm going to, don't leave before you get one of these. Uh, there's a card I'm going to get you. You should have gotten one last week and it would have carried you up through day four. Well, today's day five of our 40 days of prayer and it'll guide you through this week. So let me encourage you, pray. doesn't have to be all that, you know, it, just pray this at some point during the day. Um, to help us begin to focus on what it means for us to live as a people of hope in this community that God has given us. Let's pray together. God, we ask that you would um, create us anew this morning. We pray that we wouldn't live according to our old ways, but we would live according to um, what it means for us to be your children that we would carry your name with integrity and faithfulness, and that we would share the love that you have shown us, the love that we marvel at with a world that so desperately needs to hear it. Lord, we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.